Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul Pabedimitriou. Hello everybody, this is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today, an hour and 20 minutes, and we expect an untimely arrival. Coming up on this flight, two engines shut down on the Singapore Airline A330. Delta releases the Internet safety video. Emirates pokes fun at the state of travel in the US, but sees the Dutch government blocking its expansion in Amsterdam. The muddy story of hacking plane commands from a passenger seat. Traveler's box will save you from all those foreign coins. And Alex flies a never-before-seen Dreamliner. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the fast seatbelt sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones. Flight 15 to Atlanta. Hi, Alex. Hi. This is weird. We're in the same room. I don't know if you guys know this listening, but Paul and I always do this remotely. So I do it in my house. Paul does it in his house. And through Paul's um, editing magic... It all sounds like we're in the same room, but we actually are in the same room, and it's freaking me out. (laughs) We both are very careful at just looking at our screens and not at each other (laughs) with all the notes we're having. Atlanta, because you've been to Atlanta recently, right? I just went through Atlanta on my way to Florida, and then I went back through JFK, but Atlanta fascinated me, so I thought it'd be a fun airport to talk about. Yeah, I've never been, so I'm um, very curious to listen to what you say. By the way... You flew into a very new kind of Dreamliner I on the way back, right? I flew on the 747-400 Dreamliner. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us what I actually had to t- I sent Paul a text for us right after this happened, but uh, my flight from, uh, let's see, it was from JFK to Heathrow. I got a text message 36 hours before saying, I'm really sorry, but your flight is canceled. This is on Virgin. And I was so disappointed because... It was going to be my first flight on a, on a Dreamliner, which I've been gloating to Paul about since I booked it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I called up Virgin um, to find out, A, what had happened, because 36 hours in advance is unusual. Yeah. And they weren't able to tell me other than it was mechanical, which is, again, very strange, 36 hours in advance. When I was talking to the guy, I said, look, I, is there another 787 flight? Because I really want to go on this. Why I booked to go back via New York and not through Atlanta again. He's like, yeah, you're on. Let's have a look. Yes, yes. So I put you on VS-46, which I knew was a 747 before he even said it. He's like, you're on the 744 Dreamliner. <laughs> and like, I literally facepalmed, like right in the middle of the restaurant. Like, I wasn't being jerk and using my phone in the restaurant. And there was no one else in it. But I, uh, I was just like, okay. So, <laughs> and I'm sitting on my laptop going no, it's this, to myself now. It's a, it's a 747, but I'm not going to argue with this guy because he doesn't know what he's talking about. So, yeah, that's the I can report that it was a 12 year old Dreamliner <laughs> with uh, four engines. <laughs> I, I'm happy because you are. We're still on par. Yeah. Of us is from the, the but I tell you, it was a it was a five hour and 37 minute flight from wow, JSK, which is fast because the winds were so strong. So it was really, really, really bumpy the whole flight. And I have to say, I, it felt very comforting and reassuring to be on a 747. I don't think any other airplane could give me that sense of, you know, eh, it's, it's, it's moderate turbulence, but eh. 
<laughs> so we're gonna start the, the show with some news, and the first one is actually about uh, the U.S. I mean, this is a story you found, so go ahead. So this is again the ongoing saga, as that, always. As you know, fifteen episodes, and we're still talking about it. The the ME three versus the U.S. The big U.S. airlines and the U.S. airlines issued a report as they've been kind of tossing reports back at each other that says that the rapid expansion of Gulf carriers in the U.S. is taking passengers away from Delta, American and United instead of attracting new travelers, as the Middle Eastern carriers have claimed. And they, they sort of go into the details of this. But then James Callahan, who is the chief counsel for Etihad, came out and said, if you read the report, what they're saying ultimately is that they're whining because they're being forced to compete. And he says, quote, when you compete, your prices go down and therefore you attract more passengers. What they fail to tell you is the overall size of those markets where they do compete with us have actually increased their passenger numbers. That's called competition. That's the success of Open Skies, end quote. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, honestly, when you read that, I mean, there's just no denying. I think they just shoot themselves and defeat the U.S. airlines by providing that report. Yeah. It's a, it's a bit of a joke. There's been a lot of analysis on this report in, in various outlets, both aviation-related and in general, and they've all said the same, drawn the same conclusion, that this was an, a massive, you know, anyone can put the dots together on this and see, oh, yeah, your, your actual numbers in those markets have increased because your prices are lower. So they're bitching because they're not making at the same a revenue per seat mile as they usually do because they, usually do, yeah. yeah. So it, again, it's like every time that the U.S. three throws up a uh, something over the wall, the Middle Eastern carriers are so easily disabled to just slam it back down at them. And but so in terms of process here, it, it's still going to the White House, and they are accepting comment, or the U.S. government is accepting yeah. comment. Absolutely. And then it should be this month. They'll decide whether they're actually going to do anything about it. I open a formal hearing. My guess is some it will be sort of a bureaucratic acknowledgement of the U.S. Airlines complaint that will never actually end up in anything happen. That would that's where I would put my money. Yeah, it also means that we probably will have more reports and more news about in the coming month. I think the war is still heating up. I mean, the, the I think the U.S. Airlines will throw everything they have. Uh, to try to uh, you know lobby the government in in that case lobby the public towards them so uh, I've, I haven't seen any polls I should have looked but I haven't seen any polls on how the US public feels about this story it's Not a sure. good question I I don't know either I should have asked while I was in the US um, but I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll see some stories coming up uh, for that uh, still talking about uh, American Airlines I mean US Airlines uh, since you know just said I mean the Etihad Council said they have to compete. J.D. Power has uh, released its satisfaction with airlines in North America, which, interestingly, actually, the, the overall numbers rose for third year straight. So it means that the actual people are happier with the state of the airline industry when they're flying in the U.S., so that's pretty good. In terms of the legacy career, Alaska Airlines is still dominating the rankings. Have you ever flown Alaska Airlines? I have. Is it a good it's company? I've never, never flown them. Yeah, it's not bad. They were they were not friendly to Virgin America, so I have a little bit of, <laughs> of a bad taste in my mouth for them. But in terms of product, uh, yeah, they're fine. They have very modern fleet. They're um, they're a good airline. The Delta is uh, ranks number two again for the legacy ones in American Airlines in third place. Uh, we you you flew Delta? I did. I flew Delta from Atlanta to Fort Myers and then Fort Myers to New York for the first time in fifteen years. How is that? I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I feel. I tell you this. 
every single person I spoke to uh, on the ground in the airplane was either very efficient and good at their job and or extremely nice. So oh, across the board, their people were good. The planes were pretty old, yeah. um, that's but that's okay. Nice. But they still had Wi-Fi. Um, the planes were, the flights were very full. Actually, really quick story. When we were in Fort Myers flying to, trying to fly to New York, the captain, which I think is such a lovely touch, came out to the gate area, got on the PA and explained the delay, which I thought was a really nice touch and doesn't happen. Yeah. And he said, look, because of a JFK ground stop delay, uh, due to weather in the New York area, we're going to be delayed about 45 minutes. And everyone's like, okay, it is what it is. At least we're in the comfort of the gate and not in the airplane. And a chap in like shorts and a, and a tank top and sunglasses on his head walks up to the captain, flashes his badge and said, board the airplane, we're going to be on time. And the guy looks at his badge and goes, the captain looks at the badge and goes, awesome. Turns out he's a controller at New York Center. <laughs> made some phone calls. And we were right on time. <laughs> no delays, no circling over JFK. We were right on time. That is this is my second ATC story in four flights. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Never happened to me. <laughs> that is true that Delta is, uh, I always had, for domestic, right? Domestic meaning flights within the US. The planes are always a bit old, but I never have actually had any issues. So it's interesting that they're number two. I've, uh, I haven't flown American Airlines in forever. So, no, so in terms of uh, low cost category, JetBlue, is still ranking number one. It's not very surprising. And Southwest, uh, number uh, number two. Have you flown any of those recently? Yeah, Southwest I flew uh, in March and they were excellent, really outstanding. The, the boarding process is still a little weird to me, but in flight, my plane that I flew on was 28 days old, Wi-Fi, unbelievable staff. They're a very, very good airline. It's interesting in the, in the JD Power report, they say one thing which caught my attention, is that about one in five passengers Choose an airline space and specific things like the brand, obviously, the customer service, in-flight entertainment, or comfortable seating. It's one in five. It doesn't mean, again, pricing is probably still the number one factor, but you still have a pretty healthy category of people choosing out of, you know, the passenger experience, not just because they have a loyalty or just because it's the lowest cost. It's, I mean, that's I interesting. It makes sense in some instances, because if you think there's some flights within the U.S. that are six hours long. When you're going from LA to to New York, so you're going to want something that's going to be comfortable, irrespective of who's providing it in some regards. Yeah, sure. Uh, Similarly, the US Delta, because we're talking about Delta, Delta announced very good profits actually, uh, to the point that I think Skift uh, headlined that they're like, you know, flush with cash, yeah. <laughs> which is always in that debate with the ME3. It's always the kind of thing. I mean, you. The storyline seems to be of the poor American airlines don't have enough money to compete with the very flush uh, uh, Middle Eastern airlines. And actually, when you look at their profit report, they are actually doing very well in the U.S. Yeah. Okay. Maybe they have another structure. They have shareholder structure, and they have to pay back. But one of the things that uh, the CEO Anderson told uh, the reporters were that he was confident that a low, uh, low oil price would stay. They actually saved twenty five percent just by having. Uh, this low prices uh, for oil. That's pretty actually impressive. It is impressive. Is uh, Interestingly, when you think about it, it also means that the appeal of having new aircraft that are more fuel efficient, it doesn't disappear, but it kind of can push it away a little bit. Yeah. Because if you make a low 25% of savings, you can say, oh yeah, I can wait one more, two more years before I, I, I buy new aircraft. Yeah. And they've, Anderson has done a great job with Delta 
structurally, financially. I mean, he's turned around an airline that was on the brink of extinction, you know, just a few years ago and turned it into this, this money-making machine. Although he's on the beginning of the, of the safety videos and it's just the most awful thing I've ever seen. Yeah, we'll not not the, the safe, not the safety video itself, but just his bit. It's like, it's awful. <laughs> I, I actually, Americans are very, uh, they do that a lot. When you have the, the CEO of the airline welcoming you on board, yeah. I, I don't like it. It's it so feels, cringeworthy. Yeah, it's, it's so cringeworthy. It's never been fun. I mean, but it's, maybe a Richard Branson could do that fun, in a fun way, but yeah. that, it just doesn't work. They should just not do they it. Do it. <laughs> but he's done a great job. I mean, that that airline is making. Though, 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 we could say that the fact that you know the, all these mergers have happened, it kind of kind of cuts the price wars. There's a lot of price wars, and then suddenly you have big four airlines. Yeah. That also kind of, so that's why maybe they don't like the competition coming from abroad because they kind of, oh, we're saved the market by only having four airlines. I mean, they have more, obviously, yeah. the low cost, but oh, shit, now there's other people trying to eat our lunch from outside. But you're right about the, the aircraft as well, because I, I think I sent you a message while I was in JFK saying that Delta operated the DC-9 until last year. <laughs> I think those were inherited from Northwest, so they probably just didn't have time to to, to, yeah. to to phase them out um but dc9 dc9 yeah yeah <laughs> we're talking about planes i don't know if any as from anyone listening has from dc9 recently but i haven't in like a pretty pretty long time to be honest so uh in the same in the same breath the the, the anderson said um again talking to reporters that for him the fees were not going away. All these fees oh, are yeah. tickets. And uh, the reason, he says, and I won't have your takes, is consumers want choice and consumers want to pay for their own desires in terms of how they specify a product. So I think you'll see a lot more unbundling, not just in the airline business, but also in all consumer businesses. I think it makes sense to an extent. Of course, you have, but that's not really fees. That's deciding if what kind of product you want. Here, there are some fees you just cannot escape. That's yeah. not exactly the same thing he's answering. Right. No, so uh, yeah, I think the a la carte plane ticket is is here to stay, unfortunately. But we're not, as consumers, we're not seeing the benefit of that. What it's just additional. We're not seeing the prices come down as we take things away from the experience. Like I'm traveling hand luggage only, therefore I should my ticket should be exponentially cheaper than somebody who's got sixty five uh, bag, and it just doesn't happen to work that way. No, so doesn't. it's a little bit of a of posturing as far as I'm concerned. But I think he's right. I don't think it's going away. Uh. Uh, some more dining pricing should be introduced. I mean, I'll talk about it a bit later about my story with flying Lufthansa from Milan. But I think there's, there's. I mean, I understand they have legacy, you know, software and stuff that doesn't allow them maybe to do a lot. But there are, more, I'm sure that there will be more dynamic dynamism into how you you price your your plane ticket at some point. Mm -hmm. There's no way out. Uh, just a quick one. Uh, I used to fly U.S. Airways and uh, you. You guys know maybe that they were uh, merged with American Airlines, and we have a date. Apparently, the U.S. Airways brand will start to be sunset uh, in October. So I just want to say goodbye to U.S. Airways. I actually kind of like them. So it was a full. I, I like the brand, also the imagery about them. It was something that the, the yeah. recent one, the recent one. Yeah, they did. Um, they acquired an airline that I quite liked called America West, that was based in. Well, America West acquired U.S. Airways, which acquired uh, American. Um, Doug Parker was the was the CEO of America West back in the day, and has has steered this ma major acquisition of its older brothers and sisters. So, yeah, it'll be sad to see yet another airline brand disappear forever. I, I think what will really the sign that this airline will be gone is when uh, have you ever flown to Charlotte? 
No. Yeah, that's, I think that's one of the main hub, if not their main hub. I mean, I remember flying there. Sure. The entire airport is basically US Airways. And I think this, when all the signs will be down there, means that the, this uh, airline will have disappeared and will stay only in memory. Anyway, so uh, farewell to US Airways. Still in the US, but US looking out, uh, the pre-clearance. Pre have you ever done pre-clearance yourself? I have not. I think this <laughs> is great, though. I, I love this idea. So there are a few airports in the world, Dublin and, and Shannon and Ireland being, being two of them, where you can, uh, if you're doing a stopover or even if you're originating from there, you can clear US um, customs and immigration there. So when you land in the US, you don't have to go through the nightmare at you know, JFK or, or Atlanta or anywhere else like like that um and so they're expanding this idea this process to uh 11 more airports and they include uh amsterdam heathrow manchester madrid brussels uh, narita stockholm oslo punta cana uh, and istanbul and this is uh, towards moving towards a goal of having a third of all U.S. air U.S. bound air travelers going doing pre-clearance uh, by 2024, which actually isn't that far away. No, it's not. So this is great news. No, in terms of efficiency, is great because then, of course, your your ex experience will be much faster. The one caveat I would say, and I want to have your take on it, is that some airports. I mean, currently it's only what I think Abu Dhabi and there's a few airports that have to, uh, Dublin, Dublin and Dublin, Shannon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but. If you go through pre-clearance, so let's say you, Alex, arrive at London Heathrow two hours before or, or three because you like, you like to be early at the airport, then you go through pre-clearance, uh, the airport has to be laid out in a way that allows this pre-clearance to go, yeah. and then you cannot go back because you've right. been, you're basically in the U.S. in some kind of, of symbolic way. Does it mean that suddenly, you know, right now, for instance, the lounges are built before that? You, you mm -hmm. cannot separate people. So will they have to build new lounges for people or just not have any lounge? Maybe for frequent travelers, which is maybe, we don't know always you and me have access to lounges, but for people who are frequent travelers, if the airport doesn't think this through well, mm -hmm. you could be like, oh, I go pretty, pretty cleared and then I just have to wait in front of the gate for two hours. I think it will be that. I think it'll be like Schengen and non-Schengen departures from airports that support both, where... There's a, a pier of gates that you have to do outbound immigration to. But I think it will literally be that. This is my guess. I've got, I'm yeah, not facing this anyway. But I think you'd have a, a set of gates that can accommodate U.S. preclearance. And you would be the last thing that you do before you board, I yeah, hope. Probably. So you can still enjoy the amenities that the airport has to yeah. offer. But well, really interesting. I mean, but I'm also like you welcoming. Uh, yeah, because it, it's now when you go to the U.S. and if you have a connection, if you're doing what I did, you... Fly into Atlanta, you have to go through U.S. Mm -hmm. immigration and collect you all your, your bags, yes, 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 which yes. is such a nightmare because you have no idea how long it's going to take. It's really stressful. Yeah, yeah. Now this is no longer going to be an issue. Yeah, I've, I've had that, that experience at JFK where I had to do exactly like you said, and then I had to connect into Phoenix, and I almost just didn't make it in time because the lines of the immigration at JFK were just far too long, So, which always happens. We'll, we'll talk about JFK in, in one of these episodes, but it's a great airport, but depending, of course, it's very... Uh, Busy airport. Uh, since we're talking about this, I mean, Milan is not in the list of airports that will have pre-clearance, but I flew, uh, like I said in a previous episode, I flew Emirates from Milan to JFK. Uh, so first time I flew a free frame route. Uh, so basically flying, you know, a non-Italian airline to the US, which was not also not a non, it was not an American airline either. So it's, it's interesting. So what they do is they fly from 
uh, Dubai to Milan, and then they stop over and then continue to uh, JFK. It's a bit what I've done. Remember, Alex, when I uh, did join you in Hong Kong, I flew yeah. to uh, from to Bangkok first, and then the plane was emptied, and then you know new passengers were some like me stayed in. It was an interesting experience to see that. It's a bit bizarre because for me, I always associated you know Emirates with flying to Dubai. So being here, it was a bit. I mean, it just it made sense for me where I was before. I was in Prague just before, so I just took a, a quick flight to, to go from Prague to Milan, and it's, it was a nice experience. I want to go just quickly because it's it's a very controversial, uh, still a very controversial issue. Not a lot of airports offer fifth freedom. Uh, countries offer fifth freedom rights. Fifth freedom is basically the what I just said. You fly from point A, which is the original where the, uh, the company, the airline is based to point B and then continue to point C and you have the rights in point B to take new passengers. And uh, actually when they opened this route, Emirates, they had them to shut it down because they were on, on in court, they won in the end. That's why they're not the, 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 it's still happening. Have you ever flown a fifth frame uh, route? I was just thinking about that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I, not, not in the last decade. I probably have, but uh, not that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're I mean, Basically, the, all the, the freedom, the, four, the first four are basically very basic. It's basically give you the right to fly from one country to another and the other way around, basically, and uh, to actually take people. Uh, of course, the other, the, the second, the second freedom is the one that allows you to do whatever it does, but just not take passengers, just refuel, basically. It's a freedom that was done, especially at a time when there were no aircraft that were able to do these very, very long routes. Now you have this the, the fifth freedom. You even have go ahead. Yeah, Bahrain to London on Cathay. Yeah. Oh, see, you've done it for that for that reason because they couldn't do the. This is twenty years ago. Yeah. Like, were they able to actually take passengers? Yes. Okay. See. Yeah. That's a fifth. So uh, uh, there's a list. I don't have it in front of my eyes, but there's a list of the fifth freedom routes existing in the world. And there's a, there are actually quite a few, especially in Asia. This is what I'm about to say. So. Uh, countries of, again like Singapore and, uh, and 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 Hong Kong have had this type of freedom because they give also these freedoms to other carriers. So they they've always been, but we haven't seen that much in Europe nor in the US. Though the US does that actually, I did that with uh, I think it was Northwest. Now it's uh, who took over another Delta. Delta. Yeah, uh, they flew from uh, I don't remember the maybe San Francisco to Tokyo and then Tokyo to Manila, Manila Tokyo. Back and that Tokyo Manila Manila Tokyo I took it several times and that's a through the ride mm -hmm. I was flying northwest so now when you hear the Americans uh, authorities or at least the airlines complaining about Emirates doing that you're like yeah but you've been doing that in Asia for a very long time because obviously it makes sense you have to cross first the entire freaking Pacific yeah. to go to Tokyo but then you have all these and I know they do that obviously for Guam yeah territories that Northwest have had a massive Asian presence for years. Decades. So it still exists. So that's these are fifth freedom routes. There's there are other other freedoms that are not the one that we don't see yet a lot is basically an airline that's just that doesn't start in its own country. It just does cater for of course in Europe you see that because Europe is a single uh, fly zone now, the European Union. So you can be uh, this is why for instance you can have Lufthansa flying from Heathrow to the US. Because they it's considered Lufthansa, even though it's a German airline, it's considered within the Euro European Union. Thus, they can fly from Heathrow. Yeah. But uh, Emirates could, could do that. Well, now they do. Um, Singapore Airlines is Frankfurt, New York, which was waiting to do the return flight right next to my my seven four four Dreamliner. 
uh, on Friday. So they exist. They do absolutely exist. They do exist. I wish there were more. I mean, yeah, we wish there were more. It would totally democratize the air travel experience. But there's a lot, of course, of lobbying against it because people want to protect their flat career, also want to protect any jobs. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for what. I mean, but you've heard the story. You you just sent me that yesterday about a new possible fifth freedom route leaving from actually here in Heathrow. This this is a, a rumor, but apparently the person that has posited this rumor has absolutely nailed previous predictions and this rumor is that emirates are going to launch a dubai heathrow somewhere in the u.s <laughs> flight or flights and that is amazing if yes. that happens now again this is going to take some serious negotiation uh between but by, by emirates and the uk authorities because the open skies agreements do not apply to emirates exactly so the UK government actually does have a pretty strong policy in favor of granting fifth freedom rights uh, to, to regional airports, UK regional airports, but there's no like automatic fifth freedom approval right for Emirates at the moment. So it will be a process. It will be a process. But um, they can. Does the rumor say it's from Heathrow specifically? Yes. Get specifically, it says Heathrow, but they could be wrong. I mean, it could be Manchester JFK, it yeah. could be Manchester San Francisco. I don't know, but I really hope that this happens. I think that. There will be a little bit of pressure from BA and IAG, who actually, ironically, are supporters of the ME3 for for some obvious and not so obvious reasons. But here's hoping this actually pans out. Yeah, the, 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 I've read the entire thread there on airlines. We'll put the link in the show notes. A lot of people mentioned Boston as a potential yeah, destination. Yeah, isn't it? I don't know either. I think JFK makes a lot of sense. If you threw an A380 at that, there's the capacity. God knows there's yeah. not just the capacity, but the demand. I mean... The, the one thing, one of the reasons I took Emirates, at first I wanted to see how it works. I also, I don't have very high status on, on Emirates, but I'm still silver, so why not? It was also to see actually, you know, experience that. And it was also because if, if when I looked at the prices between Heathrow, JFK return, they're actually really expensive. Yeah, It's a very demanding ground. So it means that there's room for competition. Not only, of course, Emirates would like to have a, Pie, a, a part of the pie here and get, get some get some cash because obviously it's a very high yield road but at the same time it would offer as, as consumers you and me would, I would like to have even more competition because yeah. some of the flights are really expensive from there I mean from Milan it cost me at least I think with 30% less flying from Milan instead if I had flown from and we're not even talking about the Air passenger duty tax. It was really, really expensive. So yeah. I think would be who both welcome that you just mentioned. So that uh, British Airways, so IIG, the parents company, is actually backing the ME3. Yes, they've come out very aggressively in favor of the ME3 in this deal. They've actually proactively responded to some of those other reports that we mentioned earlier in the show, saying they're nonsense, really, and that the benefits that the U.S. public get from the Gulf carriers are impossible to ignore. And it was very strong language in a, in a well-structured, quite white paper document that they put out. But the cynic in me says, of course, you're going to say that because te- uh, IAG is um, partially owned by uh, one of the uh, Middle East. Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> so, that point as well, right? So there is a, there, you have every right to be a little bit skeptical here about their... Um, motivation. By the way, coming back to the Emirates story, flying a fifth freedom route from Heathrow, you could also mention because also Heathrow has some 
participation from I think it's Etihad is, is oh, or Qatar. Yes. I don't remember now. But anyway, meaning that there might be also some one of the interested parties. Yeah. yeah. So you could also have some pushback against Emirates, basically Emirates being not battled by US or the UK, but being battled by their competitors back in the Middle East. So that's a very convoluted but interesting story to follow. The exactly that the IAG thing is we're going back to protectionism and we yeah. can't do that. So this you know. It's, again, a very interesting thread and a very vocal and passionate response from IAG, of all people. Yeah, they, they mentioned that the UAE is now America's largest export market in the Middle East. Uh, U.S. exports and foreign direct investment to the UAE rose basically sixfold in just nine years. And that's thanks, at least, to a large part to open skies. And I think there's no way of denying it. I understand both sides' arguments, but there is something about open skies that makes the market. I mean, we've seen it in Europe. Since open skies, since basically Europe became a single uh, sky market, it has really, that has allowed stuff like EasyJet and Ryanair. It has allowed like, so much new competition yeah. in the market. I think it's it's understandable as a, as a legacy career, you want to protect the market, but at the same time, it creates so much more opportunity and innovation, especially for us passengers. So I, I'm kind of glad that IAG is supporting uh, Me too. But then, <laughs> Well, we say that at the same time in Amsterdam, there's a different story. Yeah, Amsterdam, the Dutch government has said that Gulf carriers will not be given any new landing rights at Schiphol. And this is just pure protectionism, it sounds like. They've said that um, because of, this is a quote, uh, because of talk of unfair uh, claims for competition, not evidence or actual talk of that they're restricting it. And then there's a quote from the CEO of KLM, former CEO of KLM, right underneath it saying, yeah, this is going to directly affect employment in, in the Netherlands. It's like, well, I'm no you know, analyst here, but it's fairly obvious to go, okay, KLM will put pressure on the Dutch government saying we're hemorrhaging cash here. We're getting massive amounts of pressure from these guys. We can't afford to improve the product so that we can p- compete. Please do something. Yeah. And so... Yeah. I mean, it, again, maybe a little bit of a cynical view, but it's so obvious. And the worst bit is Emirates have come out and said, we can expand from elsewhere. Yeah, and so, they will. Actually. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, uh, the flight I took from Milan, I didn't know, I, I was messaging you as I was there, and you know, I said, I'm very curious to see if the load factor is big or not, because maybe it's just, you know, there are, there's also a flight that goes from Dubai to JFK direct. So it doesn't make a lot of sense for a lot of people maybe to go through a stopover. And yeah. if there's enough capacity for just the Milan JFK bit, it actually was, the plane was actually pretty full. And um, Tim Clark, the CEO, says that he, see, he saw that it's very profitable. So he actually said, it doesn't say how much, but he says it's very profitable. And adds that if the Danes or the Swedes were to come to us and say, we haven't got enough flights in the US, would you consider it? Yes, we might do that. Yeah, so, which is such I, a you know, it's, I'm sure they I, and I'm sure they you know, there's only a few coming back to your story about Heathrow. There's only a very few because Heathrow is at capacity, so very few landing uh, landing slots. But there are still landing slots, and I'm sure that Heathrow would consider giving one two EKs, which is I think better than Amsterdam saying fall from the get go. No, yeah, won't have, and they have capacity. I think it's a bit it's a, it's a bit stupid. To, to do that. Although I understand, again, the lobbies and that Caleb must be doing behind the doors, but it's a bit sad. Um, we're going to switch continent. We're going to go to Asia. Uh, I mean, in a way, because the new CEO of uh, Malaysian is Christoph Muller, so uh, Erling is another. Is 
But they've announced a very, very, very uh, big plan. I mean, we've been talking about Malaysian quite a lot at the earlier episodes because, of course, they had one of their planes that was shot down. The other plane is still, we don't know where it is. So we get a very rough patch. And basically, uh, so Christopher Miller just took over the role of CEO and is basically terminating the entire workforce and starting afresh. Yeah. That is a pretty bold move. It is. They've, they've offered jobs back to 14,000 of the 20,000 that they, they let up and they let go. But it's basically, it's a new airline. Yeah. It's a new legal entity. They're cutting. Well, we said that, I think, at some point. I think one of yeah. the only options would be to start from, from start a fresh. From a, lot, a lot of airlines, even at least in Europe, have done that at some point. You know, when, when Swissair uh, got into bankruptcy, I think it was 2001, was it? I don't remember exactly now. Swiss New Airline basically was that. It was like, okay, we're just going to start afresh. We're going to renegotiate all the contracts, re renegotiate all the leasing of the planes, and we just start afresh. I think this is what they do. I guess it's very traumatic for the country because I think. It, yeah. The article says it was it's the the most number of people ever sacked in a single day in Malaysia. So I'm pretty sure I understand it from if you live there, it must be quite traumatic. But I think sadly, it might not have been any other solution at no. this point. And they're they're rebranding on September first. They haven't said exactly the extent of that rebranding, whether it's a name change or whatever. But they have said that all avenues are open for for discussion. So they're really starting afresh. They've they've seen that while the the brand affinity is still strong in Malaysia. Elsewhere, it's damaged almost beyond repair. Yeah, so repair, yeah. sad it's a, it is a sad, sad state of affairs. But, but at the same time, Christopher Miller might be the, the guy that, yeah, I mean, the man yeah, of the hours. Because he, he, he turned it around. Yeah, Erlingus, Sabina, Lufthansa. I mean, these. Yeah, so if there's someone who can actually probably do something, that, that may be him. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Good luck to them and good luck and also for their remaining uh, employees that will be rehired. I really hope that they can do something because it's, a, it's always a sad story when you hear an airline basically shutting down yeah. in a way. Talking about shutting down, <laughs> time of shutting well, down right. this time, uh, uh, that's, that story is a bit both frightening and uncomprehensible. Uh, so yeah, so a Singapore airline nervous had his engine shut down mid-flight. Can you go yeah. through that? So it was flying from uh, Singapore to Shanghai this is a brand, basically a brand new A330, and at 39,000 feet, both engines shut down, and it it descended safely, did not plummet. They are a very efficient airplane, to about yeah, they can fly without engine yeah, for, it, for a long time, for to uh, 26,000 feet. That's where they they stopped. So they so they dropped 15,000 feet uh, while they went through the checklist and they fired both engines up. Then, and this is the controversial part, they carried on to Shanghai, yeah. which was 100 minutes more flying. Instead of? Instead of declaring an emergency and landing because both your engines shut off. There's so much, and, and then it gets even weirder. The plane lands, only spends four hours on the ground, and returns home. Returns with, home, yeah. With passengers. Yeah. So, obviously, speculation is running rampant. That doesn't just happen. Engines don't just shut off. And it, they're getting a lot of criticism for not landing at the nearest available airfield yep. or carrying on. My, do, you think, do you think it was a human error? I think it was human error. Because, I mean, that's the, in terms of what they do, if you look at their actions, the one we just presented, it looks like there's no technical issue if you yeah. allow the, the plane. So it means that basically somebody just shut down the engine by mistake. Yeah. Do you think it's I think possible? I, yeah, they... Is it actually possible to do that very easily and without having like a 
25,000 warnings and telling you that you shouldn't shut your engines down. I don't know. Well, Air, so Airbus said that looking at the data, over a period of 13 seconds, engine number one stalled twice and recovered itself. Engine number two stalled three times, recovering itself each time. Engine one was commanded to shut down shortly after. And then when they tried to restart it at 370, uh, it didn't. And then they, they was, it was able to. So uh, there was, they looked at the, the engine, both engines with borescope. There was nothing wrong with the engines. Both engines were declared serviceable four hours later. Uh, and then they actually took the engine off. So that both those engines, both of those engines were depaired. Now they were not on the same airplane. Okay. But I mean, you would not expect that from Singapore airline. No. You would expect that. Okay. Now I'm not going to name any airlines because it would be really bad. And we promise ourselves not to bash airlines in the podcast, but you would expect that from countries with, which safety track record. Which we'll talk about maybe Sunday because we both read an interesting article, but. Singapore Airlines, I would not, I mean, there was a, one article uh, that I read about a passenger, his experience, and he says that basically they didn't really see anything. He said there was, there was a lot of bump. Of course, they felt that the plane was going down. I mean, like you said, there was no like suddenly a sudden dive or anything. These yeah. are efficient. He said that at some point it became, they were in a thunderstorm, I think, so it was already bumpy. But he, he, says, he says that the bumps uh, became... Uh, more insistent, and I guess when you don't have any engines, you know, the stability of the plane is a bit lessened, so that's what he felt. But he, he had absolutely no clue that the engines got shut off and then reignited. And so basically, none of the passengers knew about this until, of course, they landed and when they saw these stories. And this passenger says that now he's obviously very upset. Yes. It's like, shouldn't we not? He knows that there were Something. airfields very close by, so he should have just gone there. Yeah. So it's not a very good image for Singapore Airlines. It's an airline that I trust. Uh, not that I will change my trust now because of that story, but it's pretty damning. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's there's obviously a lot of um, speculation on in the aviation circles, and one of them, which I think is quite interesting, is um, quoting here: "There's a vague possibility that they forgot to turn on engine anti-ice, which is a function in their engines that, yeah. I mean, even if they do fly, fly through icing conditions, it won't won't bother the engine." And as a result, suffered from engine stalls of ice coming into the engine. Knowing what they did wrong and thus assessing the problem was not going to happen again, there was no need to divert. Possible, but embarrassing. Bad, yeah, very so, embarrassing. Do you think we will know? I don't know. I think there's a crash, there's a mandate to actually know because the government's involved here. It's not, it's an incident. So usually it doesn't have to be released to the public. Well, I think because uh, it's gone to the Singapore Air Accident Investigation Bureau as a serious incident. Okay. And it's gone to ICAO, then I think, and Airbus, I think we'll maybe hear something about this, but I, I don't think it's going to come up in any headline. It's You're going to have to dig for it. So very interesting indeed. We'll follow up. Um, so we're going to the innovation part of, of the show and still talking about stories that are a bit frightening. Uh, we mentioned uh, this story, I don't remember now which episode, about the supposed flight, the hacking of a flight through uh from a passenger who was a security expert, uh, which accessed some of the avionics, apparently, again, I'm going to use a lot of very cautious words here because the story is a bit muddy, uh, from his seat. He was able to access through the IFE, so he, he, I think he changed, he adapted one, a, a USB adapter into a different thing of adapter, was able to kind of log in. That looks like a science fiction movie or like a thriller, but he, and 
So the story was at the beginning that he was just warning that it's possible. And most people also said that, oh, he's just accessing the IFE, so he's been fooling around with your movies, or maybe his own movies, and that's it. But then what happened was an article in Wired, which was pretty interesting, where the FBI went on and said that actually the uh, Chris Roberts, who is the name of the security researcher that we're talking about here, has told them that not only did he access the IFE, he did access the avionics, but worse, he pretends that he has actually even done a change of pattern of flights during the flight during this access. Of course, he says that. It doesn't mean he has done it. Mm. It could be boasting or I, I don't know. It's true that when you read that, now you're like a bit, and again, we want to be cautious. It's not as if tomorrow everyone can actually remote access a plane. But what do you think about the story? I, I find it very hard to believe. I find it very easy to believe up to the point where he was... Uh, getting the avionics. I mean, there's so many avionics engineers that have commented on us saying it is physically impossible to do what he is claiming. If he says he's seen flight data, speed, altitude, heading, all of that stuff, they say, absolutely, not a problem because we're sending it to the IFE anyway so that you can see it on the moving map. So of course he'd be able to see that data. But being able to access he, flight deck avionics, he said, he said, said, he said, possible. He said that during the flight, when he was accessing the IFA, he overwrote code on the plane's thrust management computer while he was aboard and was able to issue a climb command and make the plane briefly change course. That's thrust, I, I don't know. I, I, don't I don't find either. it spurious. I really find it hard to believe. And the fact that there's been very little evidence to, to back up his claims makes me even more skeptical. No, I absolutely, absolutely agree. Though... The uh, ICIO actually says that there are uh, long-known vulnerabilities in, in your aircraft uh, that, that should be addressed. It means, I don't think, I, I mean, we'll know more at some point, or maybe we won't, I don't know. Uh, it's true that with the computerization in planes, you know, there are still stuff I'm sure that we don't know. Uh, as long as, because the, the part of the story that kind of worries me is that uh, I understand the, the, you know, the need you know, in software, we do that. You know, you have hackers, black hats, white hats, they access uh, the computer software and try to hack it. And then they publish the results and say, okay, this is, you should pay attention to that. There have been so yeah. many stories over Microsoft, Google, Apple with that. And, you know, they have programs even for that. It's true that the airline industry is maybe not yet responsive to that. Maybe he was trying to warn them. But if you do actually took the step to issue a command in flight, for me, that's pretty passengers in danger, yeah. and that's a step you shouldn't take. I agree. And I mean, I'm, he was on the plane, so he could have done himself. I'm think. amazed that he wasn't arrested if that was actually the case. Yeah, so we don't we don't know. Uh, the, uh, it's the ICO actually said that this is just the tip of the iceberg, meaning that there's been, if you, apparently, if you go, and I, because I'm not really into the hacker community myself, but apparently if you go very deep into forums where they, they talk to each other, there has been a lot of stories about people accessing at least the IFE. There are people will actually, you know, you know in some IFEs you have to uh, pay for your movie. People were able to get a free stuff like that. It seems pretty, you know, this is more fun than anything else. Yeah. I mean, of course, it's it's problematic for the airline, but it's not putting in danger. I don't know. It, it's true that, although I'm not a specialist, and again, we said with Alex, that at some point it would be nice to have someone who is more into uh, security and cybersecurity, it's still, I think, something that at least the airlines should pay attention to. Uh, and the, of course, the, uh, the Boeing and, and Airbus. There's so many things happening. 
Uh, we're still not a die hard. Do you remember the movie Die Hard? The second one, Die Harder. Of course. They actually uh, changed the ILS and the plane crashes. I mean, I don't think we're still there. No. <laughs> At least I hope not. But a cautious should be applied. And I'm, um, so, oh, is it? It's, it's, it's an interesting story. I'm sure we'll hear more. We'll hear more about it. Yeah. Um, talking about bugs, not exactly hacking, but I found that story interesting. United is offering one million miles uh, if uh, you are able to find uh, bugs on its website and apps. So we're not talking avionics here. <laughs> we're not talking about hacking a plane. But it's actually pretty interesting to as a you know as an it's offering. A good idea. That's a good idea, right? It says the, so the, the one million miles is the higher you can get because it's up for remote code execution. So really, when you can do something from from far far above, uh, there are other tiers. But it's I think it's a nice way to I don't know if it will attract uh, you know people who do debugging, but it's it's a nice way. It's a good million miles. I mean that's that's not a small amount of miles. Yeah, and for the airline, it's actually pretty easy to get instead of. Cash, right? Why not? I yeah, think, I think it's uh, still uh, in the U.S. You mentioned it briefly earlier. Delta, the new safety. Yeah, I saw it in change. person. Uh, oh yeah, you did. I did. I saw it. It's actually quite it's quite cute. Um, it is a internet meme safety video, and they basically dredged up every single meme that you can think of to include in this safe in the safety video from. Uh, Nyan Cat to the Epic Mealtime guys to the Will It Blend guys to Harlem Shuffle to the I Like Turtles kid to I mean just I mean it runs the gamut it's pretty amazing um, to Charlie Bit Me I mean it's 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 long and actually they, I, I I'm told that they have a bunch of different versions of it oh depending on which aircraft or which route and how long you might have in taxi time and and all oh, that's that. pretty so, smart. which is quite clever so you you. I haven't seen the full version. There's only one version on YouTube, I think. Yeah. Uh, so I will put uh, will put the link for that. But it's uh, it's really. I mean, I must admit, you know, for the longest time, I mean, we mentioned earlier in this show that they're, you know, the CEO making a message before the welcoming is getting yeah, worthy. But for the longest time, the safety videos in the U.S. were very, very dull compared, of course, when you think about Virgin, when you think about Air New Zealand, when you think about some airlines in Japan. They are actually upping their game, and why not? Yeah, and I think it's fine. It's become a little bit of a of a tit for a tat between uh, Virgin America and and Delta. They both yes. kind of like, and of course, you know, like you say, was it Delta the one that had some also eighties? Yes, the previous one. Yeah, yeah I love that one. Yeah. yeah, that was. That was so they, yeah, it's good. It's good. I think it's it's. There's Plus, nothing the wrong with it. Nobody. I mean, if you have a very dull safety video, no matter how many times you tell you to pay attention, you don't. And I would much rather watch. Delta's at six o'clock in the morning, then Virgin America's new one, which would just make me go crazy. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, look on YouTube, it'll drive do you, me. By the way, do you remove your earbuds when you have the CD videos? Yeah. Does, you have seen a lot of airlines asking for that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, it's, in Europe, I haven't had that many, and I just flew Austrian, and they were clearly asking you to remove your, your headphones before the safety announcement, which I found, of course, very fair. And I never have my headphones at that time of the flight, but it's true that I mean now that they allow you to get your you know your devices in flight mode maybe but these you can still actually listen yeah. to music or play a game whatever you don't need to pay attention I mean it's hard to enforce I guess it is hard to enforce but and anyway it's not even even if you don't have your headphones and you see a lot of people just not paying attention anyway yeah. so I mean this is good internetist safety video on the internet yeah actually you know what's just reminding me of something that I 
I shared this with Paul mid-flight, thanks to the uh, wonders of Wi-Fi. But when I was flying from Fort Myers to JFK, I was on the window. We were flying over the ocean, just on the sort of that outside of the east coast of the U.S. on Florida. And I looked down, and there was an F-15. <laughs> and I was like, I hope he's not coming to us, because there's obviously a clear point. Anyway, he wasn't. He was about 10,000 feet below us. But for 20 minutes, he was going about the same speed as us. And that is easily the coolest airplane I've ever seen. I was wondering how you see it. I thought you were. The only reason I was able to see it is because there was nothing but blue and then this yeah. silver arrow underneath us, wow. uh, about 10,000 feet below us. And, but there's a lot of Florida National Guard have F-15s. Did you were able to try to take a picture or something? It, it was a, a, blur, a blurry <laughs> dot, but it was still neat. It was still neat. Uh, so going back to my experience when I flew from uh, MXP, so Milan, uh, to JFK with Emirates, uh, it was, first of all, it was a nice experience. I mean, the lounge in, you know, the lounges of Emirates, where anyone was from Emirates, are pretty much the same anywhere in the world. They're very consistent about creating the same lounge experience anywhere. And they have their own lounge? They have their own lounge at, at wow. Milan. Uh, it's, it's a rather good airport. I mean, I remember that when I landed at Milan from, from Prague, I sent you a message, this is a horrible airport. <laughs> I kind of revised a little bit my, 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 my position. We'll talk about Milan in one of the upcoming episodes. But so, yeah, they have their own uh, lounge. It's a very, I mean, honestly, the experience was very well done. You, the thing I really like, I don't know if it's for other lounges or for that in Milan, but you can actually board from the lounge. Yeah, that's nice. So that's always very nice to be able to. They have actually two gates. Uh, I was uh, very excited. Uh, I remember I sent you a few messages because I was waiting for my flight. It was a pretty long day over there in Milan. And suddenly I see the A380 and I'm like, wow, because uh, Emirates is supposedly int uh, introducing the A380 on that route from the June 1st, and I was supposed to fly a 777. So, of course, you're sending me a message saying, it's got all my bit. Oh, never mind. Exactly, <laughs> because then I, don't, I didn't realize actually that flight was just the Milan, um, the Milan-Dubai one, which is already in but not the one continuing to, to New York. The reason I'm saying that is that, so I took the 777, which I adore as a plane as well. It's really one of my favorite aircrafts as a passenger. But in the whole debate we've been having with this US versus ME3, the one thing that we keep saying is that Emirates has this very fantastic yeah, product. It's true that when you look at all the ads on the internet, when you, if you've ever flown them, especially in premium, you have this impression of luxury in disguise. Maybe not the residents of Etihad, but still the luxury yeah. disguise. I will admit, though, that you know a 777, uh, this one, was not the newest one, uh, clearly not. I didn't check how old it was. I could have done that with Plane Finder, but I forgot. It was clearly, so Emirates has had always a very similar product in, in, in the past decade, but there have been small improvements. So you can actually kind of see which era of plane dates, because so on this one, for instance, the, there was no touchscreen. There were large screens, it was but no touchscreen. 300? I think it was a 300, 200 ER or 300. No, I'm not, I'll have to check. So their oldest 300 is is 16 years old. See, so it's not that new. But again, it's, I'm talking about the experience. Why am I saying that is because, you know, I've been lucky to fly a few times to the US in premium. Uh, I've never flown like you, the upper class on Virgin, but I've flown, for instance, the product which used to be called Envoy, which was US Airways, and it was a life flat seat. I also flew Delta uh, to the US once in premium, and it was also a lifeline seat. Here we're talking the 777 business products, so not the first, of course, first is like another league as usual, but it's a not 
life left. That's so weird. it's interesting when you think about this whole debate having about you know the U.S. versus MP3. In that case, the U.S. are really already have helped their game for business. Of course, maybe there's no gold or anything, mm. but the seating is actually really good in these airlines. Whereas here, it's you know slightly angled, which again. I know for those who have never flown premium, I know here is me bragging about fly, flying business class, so please forgive me for that. But in the general discussion, we're still having a product that is not exactly on par with what the US is offering. And I found that pretty interesting. What about Alitalia? Do you know anything about their premium? I've product? never flown Alitalia uh, internationally, so I cannot really say. I should, I know that, I mean, we all know that Alitalia is having a lot of issues. Because I wonder if it was a conscious decision on Emirates' part to deploy an older airplane when they knew the competition was not as strong as it was perhaps on, I don't know, London JFK. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. We'll see what happens when they introduce the A380. Will they? I don't think. I think they will do that. They will introduce their older A380, which is not that old when you think about it, because of course the. But uh, their product uh, is the business plan is actually different on the A380. It's life flat. Uh, though there's less, I found there's less uh, legroom than on the 777, it's a toss. But anyway, it's a, uh, it's interesting to see, again, just to point that finally when you think about it, American Airlines, uh, the US Airlines, sorry, are doing a pretty good job. And talking about that, there's an article in the designer, friends of the designer have uh, talked about their latest product of AA, so American Airlines. Uh, for looks good. I've never flown them, no, but I, it looks really good. It looks good, doesn't it? I mean, it's... Yeah. If you didn't tell me this was American Airlines, I would have said someone like Asiana no, or, yeah, or Eva or something like that. It, it looks good. I mean, it's lie flat. It's It's got the kind of compartments. It's got the, the faux wood finish, which seems to be very in vogue at the moment. Uh, yeah, it's it's neat. I think it looks really, really good. I think, yeah, nice big. I mean, they're not huge screens, but they're they're pretty big screens. It's a very it's a very businessy business class, isn't it? It looks like you know, you, there's lots of people in suits are going to be on this airplane. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Which also that's uh, a comment. When you fly premium, and I, I know you've done it a few times. I've done it a few times, a long haul, even a short haul. Although short haul, I almost never do it because it's not worth it. Yeah. Uh, but it's still true that a gender ratio is still staggeringly uh, yeah. crazy. I mean, it's like a lot of guys. I mean, I'm usually probably the only guy in denims first and a t-shirt and most, I mean, n nothing against suits by themselves, but it still shows the demographics are not yeah, there in terms totally. of, uh, it's, it's a bit sad to, 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 to see that. Um, a quick, since we're talking about JFK, it's not JFK, we're talking about New York. Uh, there's, I, I don't know, I'm really far from being a specialist into, uh, you know, I love the air, air, air travel experience as a passenger and all that gets around it. You are more into aircraft, into what goes around the entire network of how you have to fly an aircraft. And there's been this article, I was in the US reading that, that the FAA is deploying something called Dat Datacom, which basically allows, uh, and we should have maybe back our friend uh, from ATC in San Francisco, which basically allows the pilots on the ground to talk directly, instead of talking, radioing the tower to do all these inputs directly electronically, and that saves apparently a lot, a lot of time. So they're deploying that in Newark, or they have deployed that in Newark, which is another airport near to uh, New Jersey, so near to New York, and I think another one. So what do you think about that? It's cool. I think uh, it's going to be a big, big help. I wonder if this is the project that Dan was involved in that ah. he was uh, he was alluding to when we spoke to him on the show a few, few that months would ago. That his job quite. A, I mean, not that everybody would do that immediately. That would kind of 
change the scope of his job is only he had to uh, respond to electronic commands instead of talking. I'm not sure I that talking would be. I there was was it KLM that was putting out a really interesting series of videos at the beginning of this year, which is how we fly across the Atlantic. And, True. Yep. And right. I think that there was a, there was a mention of it where they just especially when you're going over the Atlantic and there's no radio coverage anyway, where they're doing kind of, I want to take this route or I want to climb 2,000 feet because of weather. And it was pure text back and forth. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. I've seen that video. But then Australia was testing something. This was like 10 years ago that was basically uh, completely automated. You could pick whatever your route and the, the software on the ground would go, wow. this is safe, this is unsafe. Yes, go for it. No, go for it. Um, wow. Yeah, I think I mean it's it's evident we're going through that direction. Into I don't think we'll cut completely the voice. No. You know, we still need to have like a human interface. Uh, but it's true that especially if you can save time, I I don't have the article in front of me, but I think either it was because the article that I found here uh, was because I read I saw the story on TV in the US and on TV. I love American US news, by the way. So it's oh, very entertaining so with the article. Sorry, but until so, it showed that. It was also fascinating the whole process oh, of good. getting a plane from gate to takeoff and uh, an opposite. Apparently, it would actually also fasten operations, allowing more fluidity cool. at, in the airport. That's what the report says on TV. I don't have any numbers here to see if it's actually the case, but of course, that's interesting to uh, well again for the passenger to fly faster outside of uh, of uh, you, you were actually on the ground for quite a while in JFK. Right. Yeah, uh, because of my later flights and, and all of that, I was on the ground for about four and a half hours. Oh, but, you know, what a great airport to be a plane nerd in, right? You look out the window and there's, what a sight you got in front of you. Yeah, yeah. that's an amazing guy. I agree with that one. It's an amazing, you were on Terminal 4. So terminal right? 4, yeah, the newly refurbished, it's pretty cool, decrapified actually. Terminal Yeah, it's actually very good. <laughs> very good. Great food. Two Shake Shacks. Oh, I, I mean, I was there. I mean, I was. Uh, I had been there last time, maybe two years ago. It was under refurbishment. I was like uh, very underwhelmed. Uh, before that, it was a disaster. And now I've also been to Terminal Four very recently because it's also where Emirates is. It actually it is not pretty good. It's not bad. Honestly, you know, the Americans are stepping up their game. <laughs> I'm stop saying they're doing bad airports. So, <laughs> uh, back to seats with uh, Singapore Airlines. So, uh, you, you have you you flown? Premium economy and Cathay recently. Was it to Hong Kong? Was it premium uh, economy? It was premium economy, yeah, on yeah. Cathay. I've flown business in Singapore Airlines recently, but not premium economy. Because uh, the reason, so I think we mentioned it, I don't, I'm not absolutely sure, but I'm going to reset. So Singapore Airlines is introducing premium economy, a new premium economy version of its flight. The reason I was reminded of this, again, the designer, these guys are so lucky to be invited by Singapore Airlines to the launch event in Singapore. They flew there, I think they even flew in business. They have an entire report on the designer.net. I'll put the link, bastards, if you're lucky. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll come back a little bit later to, to that report because it's the one thing interesting, but the interesting part that I thought about too is that actually for a long time, Singapore Airlines was one of the most, you know, fourth, you know, they were at the top of their game. They were, yeah. they were the one with the best business seats. They were the one they always, we're thinking about the passenger experience, and for passenger for premium economy, though they were not. Cathay Pacific, Pacific was better for the longest time. They say Cathay Pacific say that they are the premium economy is a very successful product. Yeah, yeah. So that's why now this time you have Singapore actually reacting 
to uh to the competition yeah that's not point. a position there used to be yeah and uh so it's it, it looks really cool it looks honestly. great really cool big tv i mean the wine i mean the usual stuff um the seats are wider but one thing that actually i read in the designer.net report i really liked is that the uh is, they even say it's a game changer is that the armrest on the al seat is movable so you can actually have it low so if you're someone with tall or big or anything you you're not constrained by the size of the seat and that's, that's interesting. and you can stay there lower and it's in its lower position for most of the flight i guess during taxiing and landing and takeoff not but that's what a good idea it's very good idea and also obviously for people with mobility issues if i think about my my dad who's 83 that's one of the hardest things was to get out of the seat even though there's legroom if you have that kind of Easy access to the lab, to the sort of the ale. That's a pretty good it's idea. A good idea. It's a pretty good idea. I, 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 I like that. So Singapore. Uh, I don't know if Singapore was really part of that golden age of travel, but I don't know if you've seen that Emirates ad. Yeah. Yeah. What a what a clever fun thing to do. I I mean, so the ad it would put the link, but basically the ad what it is, it's uh, it shows images that we've all seen online about how it was fantastic to fly airlines back in the day, the 60s and 70s. Yeah, everyone's wearing a suit <laughs> and their best Sunday dress, you know? And then, you know, and, and they even, I think they even used like the old voices to tell you how great it is to fly. And then they move very quickly to what it is to actually fly today with cues. And of course the images are very poorly, on, you know, put on, on purpose. It, it makes a real distinction. And then they go back to, hey, and here's how we fly Emirates. I mean, obviously, it's a cheap shot, um, it's, but it's a really, honestly, it's a fun one. Um, yeah, like it's it. very clever. I mean, it's so obviously pointed at the U.S., but it's, obviously. Uh, it's good. It's, it's quite clever. And they make some good points, too. Uh, another Emirates is just, I received an email, actually. So this is why I added this story last minute, is that Skywards. Skywards is the uh, the flyer program of Emirates. Uh, they will offer 1 million Skywards, well, again, that's number, 1 million. Uh, to 15 people uh, in celebration of the program's 15th anniversary. Uh, so it's pretty easy, I think. You have to answer three very simple questions that are very straightforward. Then you still have to take a flight with Emirates uh, between May 29th and June 30th. And of course, I'm very upset because I'm not going to fly. So I uh, flew them just before and I didn't know about that. Ah. So now I'm not going to be able to, to participate in that thing. And interestingly is that if you enter the game to get to, to win these 1 million miles, but if you book via the iPhone or Android app, you double your chances of winning. Ah, okay. So it also push you towards doing that through the phone. So anyway, it's a fun uh, a fun little story about miles and the anti-fun little story about miles is coming to you. So I was in, on the way back from an Emirates flight to Milan. I was supposed to take a BA flight back to London, but my BA flights are, I built time to, I, I booked the flight late at night. It was only the only three flights per day back to uh, London Heathrow from MXP. And I was like, if I'm lucky, I'm getting just in time and I can change my BA flight to the earlier one. But I, I really had like 30 minutes. Of course, that didn't work. So I arrived in the BA flight. So I had seven hours to wait. And I'm like, really tired. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to wait seven hours in Milan. So I canceled my flight from BA and I booked. I'm go ticketing. 
uh, because I, I went on my Lufthansa app, and Lufthansa app doesn't allow you to book same day flights, which is oh, that's silly. Yeah, that's actually silly, right? Uh, so I went to the ticketing office and I say, okay, what's the next flight to London? Can I, uh, of course, I had to do a stopover, but anyway, so I took, I think, the flight, etc. Long story short, what I learned afterwards is that they penalized me on the miles I was gaining on that flight because I, I, I booked it last minute. It's ridiculous because you would have been paying a higher fee for a walk-up fare. I didn't pay a higher fee. So I'm like, I'm paying a higher fee. I'm ensuring that their flights that there's only adding load factor to their flights and they're penalizing That's me for ridiculous. It. I don't understand the lot the logic of behind it. I actually mm -hmm. send them an email and say, guys, it's not about the miles because it's not I wasn't doing like a lot of miles with no, such a flight, but still like, the, the logic is not why would you penalize me to I'm, do this? I'm gonna assume that you haven't heard back from them. Not yet. <laughs> oh, of course, obviously not. But I'll I'll follow up if I ever hear back. Uh, another little contest, uh, since I just mentioned the Emirates one, so Air France every year does a flying view contest. Uh, oh, good which, too. Uh, that's, I mean, honestly, you know, when they started that contest, so, yeah, maybe i explain what it is. You have to, basically, you share pictures of your own way of seeing the world, that's what they say. You can win up to 200,000 miles, which is not bad, actually. And you, and on top, you can have a platinum uh, membership to their, to their flying view program for a full year, so that's really nice. But the thing is, when the program started, when, sorry, when these competitions started, I mean, we were taking pictures where, you know, Instagram and, you know, very, and now when you go to the website, you look at the pictures, they look like there's no way that would be able to do such pictures. No. They look, you know, National Geographic. The last, yeah, the last year's winners were just stunning. So, yeah, I mean, if you're, a, so if you're a good photographer, you yeah. should actually, because why not? You know, 200,000 miles gets you a long way with, uh, with Air France. You can actually do pretty nice trips. So you should... You should sign up. We'll put the link on the show notes. Uh, but about taking a taking a big uh, picture during flight, there was a story I shared to you. That's pretty crazy. Uh, it's not the first time I heard something about this, but it was a the story to make it short. There's a music agent waiting at Riga National. He take he wants to take a picture of the aircraft of American Airlines with his smartphone. I do that all the time. Me too. I'm always taking pictures of aircraft and I'm waiting. This is one of my favorite things to do at airports. But a gate agent stops him and basically saying that he's threatening security by doing so. What do you think about this? I think it's insane. But I don't. I don't understand how they could possibly think that that was be that would be the case. And I mean, either it's just it's, for me, I'm baffled. I mean, I understand. You know, there's a limit. It, it, I understand that it's uncomfortable maybe to take pictures of other people because there's no consent. Of yes, course, you're in a public space, etc. But an aircraft. I mean. And apparently, according to the article, there's a lot of leeway. They can, you know, it's basically the gate agent could decide that you are doing something against yeah. security and that's it. And there's no official policy either by American Airlines and other airlines to actually tell you not to do. Uh, I mean, do you know of any policy? Do, do you have any I such policy at Virgin? No, I don't, I don't know about uh, any official policy, but I know that um, when you're on board of the, the airplane, the game changes even more because if you say no, then you're interfering with the operations of flight crew, and that's a federal crime in the U.S. So the stakes are pretty high for taking that picture, but it is, I still think it's ridiculous. Absolutely yeah, I think ridiculous. It's, uh, yeah, I agree. It's, I don't know what to, you know, anyway, it's, uh, just be careful, you know. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's more of the case in the U.S. than anywhere else, I don't know, but you have to be careful about this. I, I remember, I don't have any links or anything, but I remember such a story 
two or three years ago when somebody was taking a picture within the aircraft and uh, nothing was happening, he was not taking a picture of a fighter or anything, he was just taking a picture of a seat and uh, the attendant was also telling him or her to remember that so that was not authorized and should delete the picture. It's, it's a bit weird, I don't know, it's just a, so be a bit cautious when you do that. Yeah, and don't pick a fight. Don't pick a fight, yeah, if you, you know, I would, yeah, I wouldn't take a fight either, uh, so. Then, yeah, very quickly, I found this on our, this article on Business Insider. Have you heard about Skypicker? I have not heard about Skypicker. Do you want to run through what it is, or should I do it? Yeah, no, I haven't heard about it. So it's, it's basically, uh, you, you know, when, you, when we book, I mean, we've talked about Google Flights, we talked about all of Kayak and all the other things, and apparently, it's true that when it comes... I know the founder! <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at the article now, I'm like, I know her! <laughs> See? <laughs> Apparently is, so it's basically matching unmatchable flights. Basically, when you try to book a flight from point A to point B, it could be a cheaper way to do it from point A via point C to back to point B. So basically, it says, I'm flying from London to, uh, I don't know, let's say, uh, where could I say, Athens. And maybe instead of taking, I don't know, this AGN to do that flight uh, or BA, uh, it's, it could be actually less expensive to fly Turkish to Istanbul and then Istanbul to Athens via Olympic for something. So right. that's what they do. They try to match these unmatchable, uh, these kind of routes that are a bit hidden because they don't not make sense, but they could be much less uh, expensive. It's a bit why you were you try to do something to say on um, Matrix. You say, oh, I'm going to fly from instead of flying from London because you want to avoid the passenger duty tax. I'm flying from Dublin. So it's an interesting model. And apparently they need a lot of money with it because they. They said, uh, so they, they had revenue of 4 million uh, through April, a uh, fourfold increase uh, from 2014, and, and they're booking about uh, almost $200,000 uh, data in sales. They look to go over success. And they are, so that data, because there's, they have a website, but the data, they will actually be soon displayed to Kayak and Skyscatter. Like, I'm looking at the site right now, and they claim to be able to get me from London to Copenhagen for 15 euros. Wow. I don't know. Non-stop on Ryanair. I haven't haven't tried them. I just read that, and I thought that it was... uh, They they say, interestingly, what they say is that the biggest challenge they had was to convince airlines to give them inventory, because the airlines were like, yeah, but it, it means that you're flying... Instead of flying us to your destination, you're flying us to another point to fly someone else to the other point because you want to actually... But apparently they were able to convince airlines because they added to the load factoring and they're successful. I don't, I've never tried it, so I don't trust my word. I'll put the link on the show notes, but I will definitely take a look at it next time I book a flight. It looks up. Alex is not because he's in front of me, as we told you at the beginning of the show. He's like so baffled with the prices he's seeing that he's, he stopped talking because I think he's seeing like... I can go I can go for around the world for like maybe twenty dollars or something. I don't I don't okay, yeah. I'm gonna have to look into this. <laughs> okay, so here's here's an example. Um check no not Czech Republic, I don't wanna do that. Okay, well yeah, just to give you a sense of scale, the Czech, anywhere in the Czech Republic to Nagoya okay. in Japan, four hundred and fifty euros. And that's Prague to Helsinki, Helsinki to Amsterdam, Amsterdam to Hong Kong, Hong Kong to Nagoya. Wow. And that's on Norwegian, Finnair, and Cathay. So not messing around. Wow. But you see how they, like, 
link different different companies together. I mean, you can see sometimes this kind of data kind of usually is on on, on uh, just simple return flights with multiple airlines. Yeah, but this is clever because it goes in even further. It tries to find routes with alternatives. So okay, it adds you time because you have to do a layover, but it can be very competitive. That's the, what I'm yeah, the 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 data behind here must be staggering. So good for them. Good, good for them. So I mean, like, I, I, I will message uh, Lucy, the, the say hi the CFO, us. and say, yeah. "How are you doing this?" <laughs> <laughs> so that's a that's cool. It could be an app of the week one day. Yeah. The app of the week. So we haven't done app of the week because we always said, but there's one thing that I was again at Milan. It's not an app. But you'll tell me. I was at Milan Airport and I'm waiting uh, for my flight to the US. Uh, Emirates flights, and you know, just hanging around. There's nothing much to do. I was a little bit in the lounge, and I was outside, just like take pictures of planes, like we just said. And I see that box, and I see a box that says that I can just get rid of my coins and get stuff in return. I'm like, what? Yeah, and I put it on PayPal. So I'm like, I'm attracted immediately by the box, the yellow box, and it's really clever. It's called Travels Box. So we mentioned uh, our one episode that you remember the TSA was doing almost. $800,000 of profit just by the, the little <laughs> coins that people were leaving at security. So this box is not that issue, but something general. You know, you're traveling and you have foreign currency. So when you have, you know, bills, you can actually exchange them back more often than not. But coins not. So somebody donate it, right? So you have these big boxes, a Singapore shanky, you have these big boxes, you just donate money. So here you can as well. You basically put the coins in the machine. This one was accepting dollars and euros. And then you can actually put them on your PayPal account, on somebody else's PayPal account. You can buy a Starbucks gift card. You can. There's a lot of other gift cards for other vendors. Or you can also donate. So they don't eliminate that donation part of it. So I found that extremely clever. Such a good idea. Such a good idea. I, I was so funny because when I got to the station this morning, I was like, I could really do with a cup of coffee. And I reached into the pocket on my backpack and pulled out six different currencies, <laughs> none of which would be accepted by Starbucks in London. But I absolutely see the value in this product. And the fact that you can deploy the change to your Starbucks card or yeah. Skype or like... It's like, actually interesting when, when, you, uh, when, you, when you click on it, they first ask you, which is your country residency? So... Because then you can offer you something that is bespoke to you. Mm. So, that's, for instance, I mean, I don't know about Starbucks cards but because I've never actually bought one. But let's say, let's pretend for argument's sake, that Starbucks cards are limited to their country of origin. Yeah, it means that what I will buy will be actually active, active as, um, will be working in my country of residency, or actually, if I want another country, I could choose. So it's it's really they just got funding. So with an article of TechCrunch just. Honestly, like five days after I've seen them, they've got a funding of $4.5 million. So good for them. I think, I think, but I'm not sure, they're based in Turkey. I've looked at their map on their website. They're, they're not, sadly, not that many airports in Europe yet. Uh, but they told me, because, of course, uh, I chatted with them on Twitter, they're, they're deploying. And I think it's a box that should be in every single airport I in agree. the world. Multiple points around the airport. It's such a good idea. It's such a good idea. Have you seen any box like that at Atlanta? No. I did not. Um, no. I so Atlanta know. Airport. I've never been to Atlanta Airport. I mean, the, you chose to to create the, the the name of the show Atlanta because you've been through it very recently. Oh, yeah. And then Lots also we found this crazy story. Oh uh, yeah. Atlanta. So okay, let's talk about Atlanta Airport. So First, it yeah. is it has been the world's busiest airport since 1988, and it is massive. But actually, in terms of efficiency, I was impressed it worked well. The only thing that sucked is 
when I was last in the U.S., I signed up for TSA Pre, which you pay oh. 80 bucks a year or whatever it was. And it means that when you go through security, you don't have to take your shoes off. You can keep your laptop in your bag. You can put your coat on, leave your coat on. Yep. You have a separate channel to go through security. I was like, awesome. T the security um, to transfer between terminals. So I got off my flight, gone through immigration, which was a piece of cake. It was it was uh, kiosk based yep. in, the, in Atlanta. So I was through U.S. immigration in 30 seconds. But since I was connecting to a domestic flight, I had to go back through security. I was like, oh, cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use TSA Pre. I'm excited. Uh, and I go, so where? I said to the, the guy at the, at the queue, where's TSA Pre? He's like, nope, we don't do that here. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, no. It's like that episode of The Simpsons, the Itchy and Scratchy Land, where he buys a bunch of Itchy and Scratchy money and none of the stops take it. Anyway, sorry. No, <laughs> but it's, it's a very big, I mean, there's a hundred, almost, this year they'll do a hundred million passengers yes, through that airport. Large. It's yeah. extraordinary. It is it's almost almost a, a, a million flights. It's almost like, a million flights. Yeah, it's really, it's really an extraordinary thing. If you, it's not a fun place to do a layover, it's there's not much to do there okay. at all. The food was awful. It was like Subway and Burger King and stuff like you know there there was a Blue Moon um, brew house there. Which was okay, but not nothing compared to JFK or JFK. anything like that. But oh, it was not a good place to do a layover. But my flights left on time. The boarding was the you know the gates were 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 huge. Uh, do you so, have to walk a lot inside? It looks like a big airport. They I have um, people movers. Or they have yeah people movers. There's a plane train that you have to take like you know like many of these big airports yeah. by necessity of. Uh, of the, their sheer size because it's like a thousand feet between each of the concourses um which is a long way that's a long way um the, the reason i've never flown it is that and i think we mentioned it in a previous podcast episode is that although it's this massive huge airport one of the busiest in the world if not the busiest depending on how you count again most of the flights are domestic yes and because of the way the airport which is designed to take that and so you can actually do some pretty tight connections through Atlanta yeah. if you're staying domestic. International, well, you're gambling. I think if you're going through any U.S. <laughs> yeah, any U.S. airport international is, yeah, of course, because they're not made for that. They're clearly made for If you're them. coming in, I mean, going through JFK, I could have done it with a half an hour layover because it was same terminal, no, okay. if I had my boarding pass. Coming in, yeah, forget it. But yeah, it was. it's a monster, monster airport. Wow, oh, that's impressive, actually. Yeah, and... Getting from Atlanta, Atlanta as a city is also massive, but they have a, a, a rail system, which is okay. nice. You do. Quite rare uh, in the U.S. Yes, yeah. it is. You can you can take, it's called uh, Marta. I can't want to say Martha. It's, got, it's <laughs> called Marta, and it gets into into the city. And then, you know, there's actually only about 30 bucks to take a taxi to downtown, which is, which is kind nice. of, I've spent zero time in Atlanta. I really need to get out there because yeah, I I've never love, been love the South. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those airports that has almost legendary status exactly. because of it, the number of movements, it's your size. the size, the fact that it's Delta's home. And because I was in the, the international terminal and there wasn't actually that much reference, but everywhere you look, there's just a Delta airplane, Delta tugs, Delta um, baggage carts and trolleys and trucks. And it's just, and Southwest have a massive presence there as well. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, would, I would say that. Although... 
uh, it's mostly a hub for southeastern of the United States yeah. and southwest Asia. Sorry, it was and, just fun to say. And weirdly, now because of Virgin's tie up with, or now that Delta owns 49% of Virgin, Virgin. Yeah. there's a lot of Virgin traffic there as well. Okay. Oh, wow. They do flights to London a couple of times a day at least, and Manchester, um, weirdly. But yeah, it was. It's, uh, it's interesting that no matter, every time I look up an airport in the US, it seems that the busiest international route is always London Heathrow. It seems to be really like yeah. this focal point of like all the. What <laughs> so are Yeah. One of my favorite things about Atlanta is there's an old joke in the South, apparently, that says, when you die, irrespective of whether you're going to heaven or hell, you will connect to Atlanta Airport. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very good one. Oh, wow. That's a very good one. Uh, I don't have anything to add about that airport because I've never been to. I don't know if there's... I mean, there's a crazy story. Let's let's run through it because it's a bit stupid and we do not want to actually... We're not here about... To bash Atlanta Airport has nothing to do with just that happened this morning or yesterday. I read this article about this gentleman who was, who was carrying an, an assault weapon in the airport directly. I mean, so the, the state has uh, open carry laws, so you're allowed to have a gun on you. Uh, again, I'm not here to debate about that. But it's true that an assault weapon in an airport, I mean, uh, that would be a flag for me. It was like, uh, you know, I, I mean, unless you're in a country like, I mean, there's some airports when you land, you know that it's a dangerous zone, so you have military officers, yeah. etc. So that's a bit different. But here, I'm not sure how I would feel about that. This guy, yeah, he had this assault rifle with a thousand, a hundred round uh, drum, drum yeah. on it, slung around his back while he was dropping his wife and daughter off at the airport, and it made a lot of people understandably nervous. Um, and security was questioning him, saying. You know why are you doing this and he basically said because it's my right to do that and it's like you're kind of a dick if you do that because you know it's going to make people i mean i'm not again i'm not commenting on the law i just think it's such a strange thing to do and his rationale was you never know what might happen it's like that's okay interesting interesting way but that would have made me feel extremely nervous yeah extremely nervous yeah me too. Anyway, nothing to do exactly with Atlanta, but just that it was a fun story. So don't worry, you're not going to see that every time you land or depart from Atlanta Airport. I really hope I'll be able to fly there soon. I mean, uh, I, f- I fly Delta a lot, so at some point in my life, I will end up being there. So uh, we'll maybe take up that uh, airport once more. So I cannot actually say if it's a queue or not. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it a good uh, uh, airport for layovers? No. no. Good, good airport for connections, not a good airport for layovers. And on that, Alex, uh, I guess I'll see you next week. Yes. Okay, bye-bye. Take care. Happy flying. On behalf of layovers and the entire crew, we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today. And we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.